0: Welcome to the first episode of our Capital Advisory Group's podcast series. What is the role of hedge funds today? Following the results of our 2019 Institutional Investor Survey, Kenny King, head of J.P. Morgan's America's Capital Advisory Group, dives deeper into the findings and discusses the trends we expect to see for hedge funds this year. Hello, listeners. My name is Kenny King. I'm the America's head of the Capital Advisory Group. I'm thrilled to be with two of my good friends, Paul Zumo, Chief Investment Officer, J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management, and Michael Gobenko, Global Head of Hedge Fund Due Diligence for J.P. Morgan Global Wealth Management. Thank you both for being here for our inaugural podcast episode.
1: Thanks for having us, Kenny.
0: Thanks, Kenny. Great to be here. We recently released our annual investor survey, and even after a challenging 2018, investors remain committed to hedge funds. On the other hand, there's definitely frustration. Hedge funds have struggled to produce alpha, alpha being defined as beating a benchmark. Investors continue to believe that they're getting more beta. Beta being defined as just getting the benchmark, rather than getting a true source of alpha in a differentiated experience with their managers. Seventy percent of investors did not meet their target return, which has me uh, scratching my head. What is the role of hedge funds today? Paul, Michael, how are your businesses thinking about the role of hedge funds in your portfolio? Want me to kick off? Sure. Why don't
1: you start off? Alrighty. I think that undoubtedly. Most investors who have been investing in hedge funds have been frustrated with the level of returns that they've witnessed out of their portfolio for the past five to seven years as a whole. And I think some are starting to alter what their expectations are for it. And I think that's the wrong place to start here. And so here's how we think about it within wealth management. We use hedge funds as part of a multi-asset class portfolio. We are responsible for managing people's wealth across generations. And so most of the money that we manage is in multi-asset class solutions. We break it down into the basic building blocks, which are equities provide growth, fixed income provides stability, and then we've used hedge funds for diversification benefits. And so one of the objectives that we always have for ourselves is what is the beta that we expect to come from our hedge fund allocation? We manage our allocations to be anywhere between a 0.2 and a 0.3 beta to equity markets as a function of where we are in a cycle, today being later cycle. So we look for a minimum of 200 basis points of alpha on top of that as well.
2: Yeah, I'd say that the vast majority of our clients are looking at hedge funds for a source of diversification to their other asset classes, but that's not necessarily the case across the board. And maybe more broadly, the way we work with clients has become increasingly, and the solutions in which we provide, has become increasingly customized, increasingly bespoke over the years as
0: well. With the industry close to $3 trillion in assets, are you finding sourcing managers
1: more challenging today than five years ago? I would think for both of us, right, like you think about this industry reached an all-time peak last year, despite the way that you commenced this conversation about frustration. So clearly there's still money flowing into it. How many participants are there north of 8,000, maybe Mm -hmm. even 10,000, especially as you've seen growth outside of the core market of the U.S. and even traditional Europe, right, into more emerging economies of the world. And so both of us, I think, view this as we got to find the best in breed that there is. And Mm -hmm. so the number of managers that we cover is well less than 1% cover, meaning invest in well less than 1% of that total universe. Well, there's no shortage of managers. There's always just a difficulty of finding good managers.
2: And definitely you've seen alpha come down structurally over 10, 20 years, especially in certain strategies. So maybe just take a couple of different areas, like a fixed income replacement. So as the prospect for rising rates was really undermined of many investors, I think people were often turning toward hedge funds as a fixed income replacement, more kind of a multi-strategy oriented portfolio. Private credit would be another one. There's obviously many different forms of private credit. On one hand, the direct lending space is much more commoditized, but there's a lot of different sub-strategies within private credit that are less trafficked. And again, offer both higher rates of return and higher alpha potential. Volatility. So volatility obviously increased in the fourth quarter, but I think there was concern just the, given the level of equity market valuations and the prospect for high volatility, and that led toward many more conversations around quantitative investing, specifically statistical arbitrage, and specifically kind of shorter term, oftentimes machine learning oriented statistical arbitrage, which is a beneficiary of a heightened volatility environment. We're definitely seeing an increase focus
0: on quantitative strategies maybe you can define or tell us what are the key drivers, because you've definitely been a big
2: proponent of quantitative strategy. It's funny, depending on your experience at quant, you could kind of come away with very different conclusions. Or if you're reading the newspapers, you'd see you'd open up on Monday and it says quant did terribly. Tuesday, it's done great. Thursday, (laughs) someone's going out of business. So it's too large. Just to say quant is just too large of an area. you could really slice that quant world into a lot of different sub strategies. I mean, commodity trading advisors on one hand, CTAs, risk parity based things on another, and they've performed quite differently. And even taking a space like statistical arbitrage, if you look at machine learning focused managers, they've actually performed, at least recently, performed much different than the traditional methodologies as well. So growth in data is obviously enormous, both structured and unstructured data. The cost of computing power has obviously come down. That plays into the hands of new managers are starting up, help them compete. Obviously new techniques, natural language processing, machine learning. All that is really, really important to generate new alpha signals and to be best of breed and to try to compete for a small manager a startup manager with some of the larger players. So we think it is definitely going to be increasingly impactful on the hedge fund industry and that's really exciting. But it's obviously affecting the wider investment management world as well. I'm sure we'll talk about long short equities, but if you're a fundamental long short equity manager and you're not evolving and you really have to say how much alpha potential will be left looking out three, five, ten years given the competition that is emerging in the machine learning space.
0: Paul, you make a great point, though. And Looking at our survey, quant is definitely the place we were looking to add where fundamental long-short definitely did not have its finest moment in the fourth quarter. Definitely feel like investors are churning their portfolio in the fundamental long-short space. Michael, what are you seeing?
1: Let's talk fundamental long-short for a minute. Where I started here is As a function of where we are in the cycle, which we think is late cycle, we have been de-emphasizing our strategies that contribute to that beta target that we run. And so that inevitably means that we've been shrinking our exposure to both fundamental long short and event driven, which a good percentage of the event driven universe, given where they are today, given the lack of real distressed opportunities or dislocated credit is largely if you have the ability to invest across the capital structure, invested in equities there are pockets of really high caliber people who have the ability to be generalist investors wherever they go. And then there's investors within long short that also bring that specialization to bear. And there's sectors where you have a wider universe of stocks, more dispersion, take tech and healthcare to be exact. So either that sector focus or regional focus, we think is one that could lend itself to alpha potential.
0: Paul, it feels like the search for alpha and long short, people are looking east, looking to go to Asia. You know, I've been traveling the last two weeks, and it feels like every conversation I have with an allocator for a pension, a family office, it feels like everyone wants to increase our Asia exposure. Right. Do you think there's probably more inefficiencies in Asia, which may allow... Yeah,
2: look, there's a number of things. Many of the Asian markets sold off even more and obviously more quickly. So I think that's caught people's attention. Opened up a China is another one. The quality of managers, though, is, is probably the most dominant one. You know, the quality of managers today versus 5 or 10 or 15 years ago has risen dramatically. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to take strategy views and market views to some degree, but it's really all about manager selection. So I think people can get much more comfortable with the manager selection side alpha should be higher there inefficiencies are higher you don't get arguably you don't get as much of the crowding as you do in other places although you know it certainly exists there as well so for all those reasons we've pretty consistently and again not that it's a dominant piece of what we're doing in long short US is still the largest but we've definitely incrementally
1: done more and more in asia i would say the only thing about that if we're just focusing on the equity side of the equation what we've generally seen, and no doubt that markets become more institutionalized, but it also tends to run with higher nets than we see elsewhere throughout the world. Right? There's less discipline on the short side. It's been a market that you're trying to capture the beta or maybe not always structurally positioned that way, but try and time it as well. And so I think there's aspects of investing there that you have to be conscious of as you step into that market too, which is tends to be a higher beta market. They tend to lean longer, mm-hmm. and so it contributes to that beta profile.
0: We've talked about investing in APAC. How are you thinking about your exposure to European managers? Europe seems to have a lot of different issues. You're constantly thinking about Brexit and different nations, but it seems like that could be a potential source of
1: opportunity. I know Michael has the answer on Brexit. He knows exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. So Europe, let's start with it on the equity side of the equation. We talked about number of managers earlier on in this conversation. Number of managers in Europe structured as hedge funds has gone down meaningfully as a function of the fact that region mostly catered historically to European LPs and European LPs have just sought greater liquidity and that's been achieved through usage structures. So I think that there's just not as deep of a pond to fish in over there on the equity side. And then what else does that leave in Europe? Obviously, there's a credit market. It's smaller than it is here, but comes with certain inefficiencies, especially because on a regional basis, like sourcing of paper, it could be done at a very localized level. Principally, the way that I see European exposures manifesting itself through portfolios is more from the macro side today in terms of people trading either sterling or rates. Those are not structural allocations, and Brexit has played a large component of that and what the ECB's monetary policy is. But Europe is, in summarizing, I think it's a smaller pond sufficient from a manager perspective. On the traditional hedge fund
2: side, we would definitely agree. I mean, we're not really bringing on many new allocations on the traditional hedge fund side that are focused on Europe, happy with kind of what we have. I'd say that it is different on the private credit side. There continues to be a lot of pressure on weaker banks in Europe to increase capital charge, increase regulatory pressure to push out non-performing loans. And obviously there's a tremendous amount of new and existing managers that are private credit in between hedge funds and private equity to kind of capitalize on that. So we've built up a lot of allocations in both kind of dedicated pockets as well as hybrid client portfolios that have capitalized on that, you know, non-performing loan focus or red cap focused or other lending oriented
0: strategies. In our most recent survey, we asked a question for the second time on ESG, environmental, social, and governance. What's interesting, though, is the term impact has come up.
2: Paul and Michael, what is your view on ESG? The quality of the products on the hedge fund side is a little spotty. There are some good ones, but it's not a tremendously deep bench of ones that are out there. But the challenge of the ESG space is that... A lot of people want a lot of different things. It's hard to meet the marketplace demand and thinking about how does that best implement it on the hedge fund side for just on an exclusionary stock basis is generally considered kind of not enough and something of kind of yesteryear. On the other hand, if you go to the other extreme and focus much more on impact, I think investors' reaction is going to be, I want alpha first and foremost. So you kind of have to have something in between, and that's kind of where we landed which is let's focus on alpha first and foremost, but let's focus on managers that oftentimes are thinking about ESG from the standpoint of capitalizing on the structural growth and change that ESG is creating and trying to identify companies that are increasingly becoming more ESG-focused and are going to benefit and perhaps get higher valuations and multiples because of that.
1: What I would say to address your question, Kenny, I think part of it is, yes, why hedge funds have lagged the rest of the marketplace in ESG adoption. I think part of it is the fact that they run unconstrained strategies by their very nature that tend to be concentrated in what they do. This concept of looking for best ideas is purely focused on where could I achieve the greatest risk reward in each of things. I think it is going to be hard. It is different for everybody, and I think what you're doing is the right thing. Just within wealth management, it's been much easier to tackle from a traditional perspective. And so we've been really focused on it. We hired someone to lead our sustainable investing efforts. And what we're focused on is delivering multi-asset class solutions in an ESG framework.
0: Paul and Michael, I want to ask you about new launches. In our survey, 43% of investors recently mentioned they allocated to a new launch in 2018. We've seen a growing interest in new launches. Paul, how does the asset management think about new launches?
2: So historically, we've always been extremely dedicated to the space. So 65% of the managers with whom we've invested on day one have been emerging. The first question is, what are you exactly looking for with emerging managers? For us, oftentimes, what we're looking for is access to a manager and a strategy that doesn't exist at a larger size. So it's not scalable. On the quant machine learning side, maybe it's a manager that can only has capacity of $500 million and it pays to get in early. Over and above that... They're going to change what they're doing in terms of the time horizon. It's going to go out and it's not going to become interesting. So you have to get in early. There's value in getting in early. Or the fees and kind of the deal that you're getting is sufficiently attractive that you're compelled to kind of invest it at an early stage. But more broadly, I'd say our efforts have been focused mostly on the quant space. And strangely, in long short equities... We're actually finding, because you have to say, like, where does the inefficiency exist? Oftentimes it's emerging. We would actually say there's an inefficiency that exists for managers that have been around a while that have been forgotten about in the marketplace. That's That's interesting. We found two, $3 billion managers that we don't normally invest with in years three or four, but that are still offering attractive terms. That we felt everything else equal was a much better opportunity than necessarily getting excited about the new manager that's launching in long short. That's great. Mike, as you think about the year ahead, how are you thinking about the
0: managers in your platform? Are you expecting lower turnover, higher turnover, neutral? Hopefully,
1: not too high, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely don't want it to be like in yeah. years past. Just like if you were to ask any hedge fund manager, how do you feel about your book today? Right? They love their book. <laughs> and I think it's important for us to reflect on this, we were disappointed in last year. I thought the setup was really good. Right. Rising rate environment. We think that QE had naturally suppressed the alpha proposition for a host of different reasons. And you asked about targets beforehand. I think one of the other things that hedge funds have to do is they have to provide natural diversification to the portfolio. And sometimes we're so in our hedge fund world that we talk about beta and alpha and this and that. Like Part of it is as simple as, what's the return relative to a 60-40 portfolio? Right, sure. Right? Yeah, that's a great point. We don't only manage portfolios of hedge funds, so we have a a bit of a wider toolkit. And one of the things that we're doing is how do we use hedge fund structures or vehicles to create a risk profile in something that has a more attractive fee associated with it? An example might be high-yield munis. We have a big US taxable client base and that market is one where you need specialization and so we could create a structure and around that. And that's a little bit unique, but we're thinking about how do we complement what we do on the traditional hedge fund side by using the vehicle to offer what we believe are attractive solutions to our clients.
2: Yeah, I mean, you need to innovate and we're doing the same thing. So kind of working with managers to structure solutions that work better for us. Part of it is getting fee savings, but part of it is maybe carving out a small piece of what they're doing, making that a much broader opportunity. Co-investments would be another one and brings down fees, have higher return potential. So it's evolving. That's great. Last question, if you have a crystal ball
0: what do you think a surprise we could expect in the industry in the next 12, 24 months? Well, if we had
2: a crystal ball, it wouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I think the impact of ESG in terms of how the growth of ESG on a worldwide basis and what it's going to mean for the hedge fund industry is certainly being underestimated. And similarly... On the quantitative side, machine learning side, when you're sitting down and talking to these managers and really getting into the weeds of what machine learning is, natural language processing, and understanding, obviously, the impact not only in the wider world, but the impact on the investment management industry and, obviously, the growth in data, everything associated with it, people get it. It's not a surprise in one hand, but I still think it's vastly underestimated. It's just so shocking, the impact and the power of it. I still just think it's drastically underestimated. If people are not paying attention, they're going to get run over.
1: I think you started this by saying that 70% of the survey respondents were frustrated with performance. I think the surprise is going to be the inverse of that, that performance is going to outperform expectations. And so I look forward to the conversation that we have there on the go. back of that. Yeah, uh,
0: It's great to end on a positive note. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Paul, Mike, thank you for both providing valuable insights. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Any questions in the meantime, feel free to reach out to your J.P. Morgan, Representative. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. The views in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase or its affiliates. This communication is provided for information purposes only. J.P. Morgan Chase or its affiliates, collectively J.P. Morgan, normally make a market and trade as principal in securities, other financial products, and other asset classes that may be discussed in this communication. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please consult the links in the description.